Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, Andy th- and the worship team. Thank you. That I, that's one of my favorite songs. There, um, just realizing that the, our ransom has been paid, and uh, boy, we needed that, didn't we? <clears throat> so, my name is Tim Bueller. For those of you that don't know me, and uh, I'm just a person that attends church here, and um, we're we're glad to be a part of Christ Church and this opportunity to share God's word with you. And so as we do, as I do that today, it will be, um, it'll be interesting because I'm used to speaking to teenagers, right? And so if I say some wordy dirds or if I say, you know, things that make my wife kind of head for the door, well, you just got to understand I'm used to speaking to teenagers. And so um, I'll, I'll do my best to keep it uh, PG-13 here. So, um, I want to uh, review just a little bit about the past two weeks. Uh, Genesis 12, we took a couple weeks to go through, and just realizing that there's, uh, there's some really big stuff that happens uh, in this passage of Scripture for Abram. And, you know, you look back at Genesis 12, and you go, okay, so God calls Abraham, Abram to do something, and he does it, right? He just says, okay, go somewhere. He doesn't tell him where. He just said, hey, go somewhere, right? And he says, okay, and he starts heading somewhere. So Abram does it, and, and then he says, God tells Abram, I'm going to do something for your family. I'm going to give you some land, which is kind of a good thing. Has anybody ever been given land from your, from your family? That's a pretty cool thing, right? But he says, I'm going to give you some land, and I'm also going to make your family really big. And, uh, and then also he goes on and he says, those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. That's pretty cool, right, if you think about that, because there are a lot of people, especially in our nation today, that feel like, you know, if you you think one thing, uh, then I'm going to curse you. you, But if you, I might believe what you think, and so I'll bless you. And so we feel like, you know, there's always this tension behind what people do to us. And and Abram's told by God, hey, those who bless you, I'm going to bless. I'm going to be for those people. And those that curse your name and curse you and your family... I'm going to curse them. I mean, that's a pretty cool promise. And so Abram gets that. And Abram's response in Genesis 12 to God's promises is beautiful. It's kind of what we just did and what we're doing here today. He builds an altar and he worships God. He's like, wow, you're going to do that for me? All right, I'm yours. I'm going to worship you. And so he builds an altar at Bethel as a sign of worship for what God was doing. And then... A little bit later in the chapter, famine strikes, right? You remember this from last week if you were here. Famine strikes the land, and all of a sudden he goes, man, I don't know what we should do. Let's go to Egypt. Let's just go to Egypt because, you know what, I think that probably we'll have better success there. Okay, so now just hang with us because, you know, we're, we, we could judge Abram really quickly, but we kind of tend to do the same thing if we're not careful. And so fa- uh, famine strikes, and on his way there, Abram is looking over at his hot wife. I've done this with my wife many times. I look over at my hot wife, and I go, and he says to Abram, or Abram says to his wife, Sarai, hey, look, you're hot. Okay, we know that. And, um, and here's what's going to happen. When we get to Egypt, the Pharaoh is going to see you and how beautiful you are, and he's going to want to kill me because we're married. Let's do this. I got a great idea. I forgot that God said, hey, bless, bless those who bless, curse those who curse. I forgot that because here's what I'm going to do. Just say I'm your brother because that way, you know, Pharaoh won't kill me or anything. And so they get there, and 
voila, that's what happens, right? He, uh, you know, he says, hey, this is my sister. And, uh, and Pharaoh looks at her and says, wow, she's hot. And so he brings her into his home and he says, I want to marry you and all of that. And Abram is spared. In fact, Abram is given more things because that's Sarai's brother, right? So, hey, bless her brother too while you're at it. <clears throat> wow, did we... Did we miss something there like be behind? I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you land and I'm going to make you a great person uh, for my glory. And if people bless you, I'll bless them. If they, if they curse you, I'll curse them. Did we forget something there? Yeah, we forgot something there. And so he decides in the moment and, and as, as was shared last week, he decides in the moment to trust in Pharaoh instead of God and the promises that God made. And that sort of brings us to this chapter, chapter 13. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 13 of Genesis. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, or maybe on the floor or something, but, um, but go ahead and turn to Genesis 13. And I'm going to pray as you're doing that, and we'll get started. Father, we think of who you are and we have the benefit of Scripture. We have the benefit of understanding uh, the sacrifice that you made to ransom us. We have the benefit of reading what Moses has written for us to, to, to learn about Abram and uh, not only the, the great victories and the wonderful things that he did, but also the, the stupid things that he did. We have the benefit of all that, and so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would hold us um, responsible for the understanding today that um, we're, we're like Abram in many ways, but we're different because we have that. So, Lord, just uh, give us wisdom as we uh, go into these two chapters today and know what it is that you want us to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 13, uh, let's read a few verses. We'll read verses 1 through 7 to kind of get the, again, we've got a little bit of the, the lay of the land. Um, they're, um, they're in Egypt, they're leaving Egypt, and so let's just go ahead and read verse, verses 1 through 7. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling there, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, here we have Abram and Lot. They're heading back to where they were, right? So, they're, they're in Bethel. They're worshiping the Lord, um, and they're growing in strength and in numbers, and their herds are growing, and they're, the people that are, are working for them are growing, and they get this famine. They go down to Egypt. They go uh, and do all these weird kind of things, but are blessed in, even in that, and then they're heading back. They're heading back to Bethel, and... It says um, toward the Negev there, and, and for those of you that are kind of like following like, okay, the Negev, what is that? That's a weird word. Um, it means south. 
Now, if you know a little bit about uh, you know, Egypt and where Bethel is, Bethel is up near the, the southern part of the Dead Sea, so, and Egypt is uh, kind of uh, southwest of that. So they're heading up into the Negev, north but south. It's kind of weird, right? So this sort of a little nuancey thing. Uh, the Negev also can maybe be known, sort of thought of as a dry and parched area. And so it's kind of more that. So don't get too confused about that. There will be several words and names in here that are just kind of weird uh, to you. But they're heading, basically they're heading back to where they were. Kind of when they, when God, when they, when they made an altar to the Lord and said, "We want to worship God alone," and then they made this little trek to Egypt. Kind of, oops, uh, let's go back. And so they're heading back there, and it, at one point, becomes kind of clear to Abram and Lot that, hey, look, um, kind of like the old John Wayne, there's not enough room in this town for the both of us, Pilgrim, right? So like, they're, we'd like it to be that, but there just isn't room here for all of us. Now, it's not like it was the size of Carterville, right? This is a big area, right? So that kind of tells you the, the size to which their groups of people have grown. And so there's a lot of people. There are a lot of uh, sheep and, well, I don't know, herds, right? There's herds of animals. And there's just a lot of, lot of folks there trying to live in the same space. And it's just not going to work. So what do they do? What, what do you do when you've been with your family for your extended family for a little too long? <laughs> you know, you're, they start to, to fight or bicker or something's going on and you kind of look at your spouse and you kind of have that little twitch in your eye like, <laughs> and you kind of you have that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow my stack kind of look in your eye and you're like, we got to go, <laughs> right? We better go. <laughs> And uh, that's what Abram and Lot are doing. And it's not so much that they're toward one another, but their, their families and their, their, the people that are keeping their livestock are fighting over things, and they're bickering, and there's strife between the two of them. And they just realize, you know what, this is probably better if we just go different ways. And take a look at what Abram, Abram says to Lot in verse 8. I love this. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Dude, we're family. Let's not fight. We're family. Now that's especially poignant for me in my life because you know, my parents live in Florida and, and I'm afraid they're going to drop over at any time. So I'm thinking about moving a little bit northwest, you know what I mean? Because, like, you just never know when they're just going to pop over, right? There's not, I don't know if I would say that there's currently strife in my family, but there has not been a great bond. In fact, I was talking to my sister, uh, who's the sister just youngest to me, and uh, there's five of us siblings, and we're just not close. I mean, we were just talking about that. We're just, there's just not a closeness, but you know, when there's strife, strife between family members, a really amazing, powerful thing to say to a family member is, let's not fight. We're family. Come on, we're family. Let's not fight. That may be something that you came today and you didn't know you needed to hear it, but that's the thing that you needed to hear. You know, Abram's looking at Lot and saying, you're my nephew. You're my brother's son. Let's not fight. He says, he tells Lot in verse 9, you want to go to the east or to the right, I'll go to the left. 
You want to go to the left? I'll go to the right. You choose. You pick it. The direction that you want to go, I'll go the other way. And it's not so, you go the other way. Yeah, you, you go that way, I'll go this way. You want to go this way? Fine, I'll go this way. We don't see that in Abram. We don't hear that in Abram, the way that he tells Lot to do what he wants to do. What we hear is a genuine graciousness from Abram's heart. And <laughs> I think he wants Lot to prosper where he's going to go. Like, you go and you prosper. You be there, and I'll go the other way. And, I, and God is obviously prospering me too, so I'll go the other way. It's great. And if you recall, wasn't it Abram that God spoke the promise to? Uncle Abe, right? God told Abraham, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to you know, give you this land. And what he was saying to Lot in that moment is, God gave this land to you. I don't know about you. I've got nephews. <clears throat> and Lot, being the nephew that he was, I'd, I'd kind of like to think that my nephews would be a little different. right? It just seems like Lot was sort of this guy that wanted to, to get the best stuff. And Abram was very interested in saying, God gave this land to you because he knew the promise was that, that the land would be given to Abram and his offspring. And so I just love that. You know, the other thing, too, that I love is um, I've got, I have three amazing children, and some of you know my children. And uh, I've got three amazing children. And one of the things that I love about my kids is they just don't ask for money much. I mean, sometimes, but, you know, they just don't, they just don't come to me and say, hey, I, I need some money. You know, Sophia's 17, 18 now. She's in Knoxville, Tennessee, and she's out there. She calls me up, Dad, um, I'm thinking about going selling some plasma. <laughs> I'm like, what? I, now, I've done that before, right? When I was a poor college student, newly married college student, I, you know, selling, have you sold plasma? Have you? Has anybody in here besides me sold plasma? For real? Nobody has? Do you even know what this is? Y'all need to go down there. There's one right down here. You have? <clears throat> it's right here in Carbondale. Now, just so you know, that, that's not a place that, you know, attractive, you know, single 18-year-old girls just go. You know, it's mostly people that are kind of really down and out and really need about $40 or $50 a week because you can only do it once a week, right, or once every couple days. Well, you know, so she's like, I'm going to go sell plasma. I'm like, Sophia, do you need some money? <laughs> like, you all right? <laughs> you, know, you know, no, I just need, I just want to make some money. I just want to work. When she was 17, she couldn't get a job except in a restaurant. We were like, you don't have to work in a restaurant. But she couldn't get a job. She applied, applied, applied. But she couldn't get a job because she wasn't 18. And it was so frustrating for her, but she just didn't ask for money. Our youngest son, Karsten, he, you know, he wanted, I don't know, some Lego set or something. and So he decides last summer, I'm going to go sell lemonade. He didn't come up and say, Dad, I want this Lego set. He said, I'm going to go sell some lemonade to make some money. <laughs> okay. So he goes and he sells some lemonade and he makes some money. And he gets the Lego set. Manny, my son, who's 15, he works over at a sawmill with a guy that's as hellbound as any, anybody I've ever met. He's a great guy, but he is rough. He owns a sawmill, right, in Macanda, okay? And so he, 
this dude is great. I love this guy. I really do. This guy's a friend of mine, but he got, my son goes and works over there, you know, once a week just to make a little bit of money. And it's just beautiful. So I love that. What does it make you do when your kids and people that you know aren't always just going, oh, hey, hey give me, hey, I need, it makes you glad to give them money or glad to give them anything. It's just a real blessing to be able to give to somebody when they're not just expecting that they're going to get it. Now, if Lot were my nephew, I don't know. I, I don't really like the way that he looked around and went, all right, Uncle Abe gave me my choice. That over there looks like the Garden of Eden. That's what that looks like. That's what it says here, right? So, uh, so take a look at um, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was very well watered and uh, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. He's looking and goes, that looks awesome. That's what I want. So he picks it. Now let me ask you this. Should he have chosen that? Should he have chosen to go to the Garden of Eden? Why not? Uncle Abe told him, choose, right? You get to pick. You get to pick it. If you go that way, I'll go this way. If you want to go that way, I'll go that way. It doesn't really matter what you choose. I'll go the other way. And so why wouldn't he? But I'm looking at this going, dude, um, I'm your uncle for crying out loud. I would like my nephews to look around in that situation and go, you know what, Uncle Tim? That over there looks pretty amazing. Why don't you go there? Why don't you go that way? I'll go that way. I'm sure there's something nice over there too. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, that's, that looks awesome. You go that way. I would like to think that my nephews would do that. It doesn't really happen that way. And here's the beautiful thing. Abram doesn't seem to mind. Abram doesn't seem to mind. He's like, okay, you go that way then. The, the problem for Lot is... Um, that direction was Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you, if you recall, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, what do Abram and Lot do for a living? What, where have they gained all of their wealth? Lying to the Egyptians, what? Livestock. Livestock. They're what? They're good old boy farmers. Hey! <laughs> you know, no, nothing against farmers. I'm just saying, they're good, they're farmers. They're southern boy farmers. And so, Lot says, I'm going to go that way because it looks amazing. And he gets to the city of Sodom and he goes into the city, it says. He pitches his tent at Sodom. Now, what do we know about Sodom? No need to guess. It's right there in verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now, so here Lot decides, I'm going to go to that way because it looks awesome. And hey, I'm going to stop doing my farming thing because that looks pretty cool over there. The wickedness of whatever was going on there was intriguing to, to Lot enough that he went there. And... Obviously, you know, it doesn't really say, it doesn't speak to what we think of as Sodom, 
right here. It just says the men were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Um, sin was prevalent there, and particularly the sin of homosexuality was, uh, was definitely there. We find that later. But when God chooses to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, this is all before that, though. And so here we have the chapter concluding with Abram sending Lot off to wherever he's going to go and, and prosper. And Abram is there. He's heading toward Canaan. And what, what happens? God meets with him again. It's beautiful. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, I think that's important, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give you to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that, no one, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So here God meets with Abram again and reminds him of the great promise. Hey, look, I remember I told you this. I'm serious. Yeah, you gave Lot the Garden of Eden, whatever. But, dude, it's still all for you and your, and your descendants. Now, how many kids did Abram have at the time? Zero. Now, again, me, I'm like, um, okay, well, that's great, but I don't have any kids yet. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm getting older. What are you, what are you talking about? No, it doesn't say that at all. Look at verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Once again, building an altar to the Lord. Now, when we say that, you know, how many of you guys have built an altar to the Lord before? Like, went and picked up stones and made an altar to the Lord. Anybody? I've done that before at different places. <clears throat> what that means is he decided, I, my worship is going to be to this God that's promising me, that's blessing me. Even when my nephew, that little punk, okay, fine, whatever. I mean, sorry, Lord, I'm not punk. He's my nephew, but he took the best looking land. No big deal. Here God still promises and reminds him, this is the promise. He worships the promise giver. So that kind of concludes chapter 13 right there for us. And, and we don't really know how much time has gone by between 13 and 14, but some time has obviously gone by because here we have uh, the first seven verses of, um, actually the first 10 verses of, of chapter 14 are this kind of interesting um, narrative, this interesting story of kings coming into power and then fighting with one another. So war starts coming up, war is brewing, and things are just kind of looking kind of bad for this area south of the Dead Sea. You know, people are being killed. Like so, like this, uh, this, this one king seems to be, you know, telling people what to do. Well, then they start to rebel against him, and 
these, these regions, this region becomes this sort of melting pot for people wanting to, to fight for their own freedom. And they didn't really like to, to be told what to do anymore. And so here we have several verses of names and things that, you know, I don't think anybody can really pronounce too well. And, but the point is, it all kind of culminates... It all kind of culminates when the king, verse 8, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of uh, Adma and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela went out and they joined the battle in the valley of Siddim with Caraladmer, uh, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amrapel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. And then here's, and this is where, again, this is a lot of information, pun intended. There's a lot of information here going into what I would say is sort of the... Um, this is sort of the culmination of all of this information, verses 1 through 10. Verse 11 says this, So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. Verse 12, They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. So all of this information, all these details of all these kings who are in this area serving the one and then getting sick of it and saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to rebel. And then all this fighting and then tar pits, like what? Like tar pits. That's just kind of weird. It's in there, right? And Sodom and Gomorrah go out there and then they're fighting uh, for that, but they get routed. They kind of get their rear ends handed to them and they're heading back home and a bunch of them fall into tar pits. That's weird, but it's in there. So I'm like, okay. So they're, they're falling into tar pits, and verse 12 says, they also took Lot. Now, <clears throat> remember, Abram said, I want you to prosper. I want you to be well. You're my nephew. You're my, you know, you're my brother's son. Go. You be well, and, and you go that way. I'll go this way. And when Abram hears about Lot being taken. He's like, I got to do something about this. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been told, maybe by a parent or a teacher or somebody, uh, when, maybe when you were younger, maybe even recently, uh, be careful who you associate with and be careful who your friends are? Have you ever been told that? How about you younger kids? You ever been told that by your parents? Be careful who your friends are. Have you been told that? Yeah. That's a really important thing to remember because it doesn't matter if you're doing what your friends are doing, if they're doing something wrong. It doesn't matter if you're doing the wrong thing. If you're with them, you're guilty by association, right? We all know that. In fact, those of us that are parents in here, and if you want to be a parent, one day you'll tell your kids the same thing. You will, because you don't want your friends to be friends with people that are going to harm them. And so here we have Lot going right into the city of Sodom. And he may not have been participating in the battle. I don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't say that he was fighting in the battle. It says the kings went out there, but it doesn't say that he went out there. 
It doesn't even say that he was participating in the wickedness that was going on in Sodom. It doesn't say anything about what he was doing there. He just liked it. As a farmer, he loved the city. <laughs> right? But he was taken. Because he was there in the city by his own choice. He chose to go there. He could have stayed outside of the city and done his farm. Would that have prevented him from being taken? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. We don't know because he was there by choice. And then all of a sudden he was captured along with his whole family and all of his stuff was taken and they just bolted. So then in verse 13, notice with me, then one who had escaped and came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eschol and Aner, these were allies of Abram, when Abram heard of, that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, a couple of interesting notes here. Um, he hears that his nephew has been captured. He says, that's my family. Remember, he said, let's not have strife between us. We're family. We're kinsmen. He realizes that Lot has been taken captive by Lot's enemies. It wasn't Abram's enemies. It was Lot's and Sodom's enemies. And they said, and Abram's response is, that's my family. I'm going to go get him. And he takes 318 men that he has trained militarily. Interesting. He's a farmer. And he lives in a place where the Canaanites and the Perizzites are living. They're not always friendly to the Hebrews. Right? Actually, the first reference of Hebrew is right here. Abram the Hebrew, right? And, but they're not always friendly to people that come into their area. So you think that he took all, three, all the people that he had trained militarily? No, I'm sure he's got some more. That he's left back at home to take care of his vast group of people that can't even afford to have another big group of people that's, it, that's his nephew stay there. So like he's got a bunch of people and a bunch of livestock and a bunch of wealth that he's just not going to leave it to the, to the women. No offense, ladies. I'm sure you guys could kick butt and take names. I'm just saying he didn't just bolt, I'm sure. I'm sure he left people there. Think of this. This is a farmer. This is some dude that, that you, know, you might look at and go, well, you know, he's just going to be tending sheep. He probably doesn't know anything about anything else. And that's kind of a stigma that sometimes we give to people. Uh, but you know what? He knew what he was doing. So he takes these 318 men, and he says, we're going to go chase after my nephew and get him. And verse 15 And he divided his forces against them by night. Again, this dude was sharp. Not just a dumb dude that didn't know what he was doing. I'm talking about this guy was sharp. He divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Heboah, north of Damascus. Now, 
just so you know, where Abram and his 318 men were to Damascus is about a little over 200 miles. So here we have a good account of, you know, he probably pulled it up on Google Maps like I did and said, okay, so I guess if I go up Route 90, um, that would probably take me about 71 hours to walk there. No, he just knew where to go. He chased him up there. It would be like going up to Springfield on foot, chasing after your nephew, who was kind of a punk to you. And left you standing there while he while he was heading toward the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, think put that a little bit into context. I go up to Springfield, a little little above Springfield actually. I go up there and get him. So then he brings them back. I find something very very interesting in the next verse. Verse sixteen says. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Now, <clears throat> I, again, I, I try to put myself into, like, what would I do there? You know, I got a little bracelet. What, what would Tim do? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have that. That would be dumb. <clears throat> but I put myself in that spot and I go, would I have brought back a bunch of people from Sodom? Would I have brought back their wealth? Like all of the stuff that it says he, all their possessions and all their people he brought back. He went and he got them. And he got his, his nephew Lot and all of his stuff too. But he got the rest of the people. And he brings them back. Now, I don't know. I mean, these are wicked people, Right? These are wicked people. I think it is interesting, though, that it says it brought back the women and the people. I don't know. Maybe he left the men there. <laughs> I don't know. It's just there. So, like, I, I don't know. I can't read into it, the men and women. So, we have... <laughs> Thanks, Riley. So, was it Riley? No, it wasn't. Okay. So, we... Um, We've got this interesting situation that I don't think that I would have probably done. You people are wicked. I'm not bringing you back. But Abram does that. Abram does that. And I just, I find that interesting because so, easy, so, so often, if somebody's bad around us, we kind of don't want to, we don't want to help them. Am I right? Like if if you if you saw some dude that was high on on some kind of weird drug and he was disabled on the side of the road and he was kind of stumbling around, would you be like, "Boy, I really hope that guy makes it out okay," or would you be like, "Oh, step on it! Come on, Edna, go faster!" Right? It's hard. It's hard to help people who are wicked, isn't it? Is that just me? I mean, like, maybe I'm just, okay, lay down, sit down, Freud, and confess that all the awful things that have happened by bad people in your life, right? No. It's, am I, I'm not the only one, right? It's hard to bless people who are wicked. And here, Abram brings them back. If you're taking notes or you want to write down something for a little bit further study, Jeremiah 29 is a great 
passage of Scripture to think about. When you think about and, and study, when you think about how can I love and care for and pray for the peace of wicked people? This is written at a time where the exiles, the, the people were exiled in different places, and it was hard where they were going. It was their discipline, but it was difficult. And God says, pray for the peace of the city that you are exiled in. Do you feel like an exile here in this world, in this country? Our country is so dang divided right now, it's unbelievable. Do you feel like an exile here? Not just because of your political beliefs, but because it's going crazy. There's wickedness that's abounding all around us. Is there not? And what are you doing? Dadgummit, I'm so mad. Stupid. I can't believe the choices he's making. I can't believe the things that she's doing. It's just dumb. Is this how we are doing? Is this how we are posturing? Or are we on our faces before God saying, pray for the peace of the city in which we are exiled? I see this in Abram right here. I wouldn't have brought him back, I don't think. Maybe I would have. I don't know. I'd like to believe that I would so that you all would look at me positively and say, oh, that's great, but I honestly don't care how you look at me. But I'm going, maybe, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But I think that that's something that we see in Abram. So he brings, so Abram brings back um, all of this stuff and his, and his nephew and all of his possessions. And I think it's also kind of interesting who comes out to greet him and meet him. Um, in verse 17, after his return from the defeat of uh, Kedlaramer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Interesting, two kings that come out to greet him as he's coming back down south of the Dead Sea. Um, one of them is this king of Sodom, who you know barely missed the the as he was running he was kind of like doing the sideline step by the tar pit right some of his other kings fell in but like he's like ah right he makes it back and right comes out to greet him and so does this Melchizedek Melchizedek is uh, is the king of Salem he's also the priest of God Most High how many of you guys remember um, hearing this phrase and this, this name in this way, God Most High. Like, do you, do you remember seeing that much in the Bible? It's not in the Bible a lot that way. The Most High God or God, you know, being, or Lord, meaning Yahweh. This name is very, very, very interesting. It's the name of God in Hebrew, El Elyon. This priest, who is also a king, Melchizedek, is a priest of God Most High, El Elyon. Very, very interesting. And he blesses him with the word, with the name El Elyon. Melchizedek is a righteous man. He's a righteous king. 
By the way, Salem is most likely Jerusalem, right? So like he's the king in Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't right there either, by the way. It was up toward the, the way up by the Red Sea, right? So like he came down to meet right near Sodom. He came down to meet Abram because he'd heard of this great victory that God gave Abram. Beautiful. I mean, just think about that. And the blessing that he gave was a blessing to God. Blessed be God, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Wonderful. Amazing. Now, King Melchizedek, just for time, um, we don't have time to talk about King Melchizedek very much. But I, how many of you guys have studied uh, in the order of Melchizedek? A few people? Very interesting, isn't it? And varied um, beliefs on it. Just different ways to think about it. I would say to you this. If you are interested in further study on King Melchizedek, he's listed in the, in the scriptures three places. Here in Genesis 14, also Hebrews 7 and Psalm 110. So if you're writing things down, Hebrews 7, Psalm 110, if you are interested in understanding some of the, the, the interesting things about King Melchizedek, and I'll just throw you a little, little, uh, little um, carrot. Christ, in Psalm 110, it is a prophecy about Christ. It doesn't say Christ because Christ wasn't born then, but it is a prophecy that, that the Messiah would be in the order of King Melchizedek a reference, a prophecy of Christ. And so you think about that. So why is that? That's very interesting. So I would say, again, for time, that's, that's for you guys to study on your own. As a matter of fact, change your lunch plans. Go to, go to lunch with somebody that raised their hand and said, I've studied this before. It'd be very interesting conversation if you have time to do so um, to just kind of find out kind of what that's all about. So then on the flip side of that blessing and that greeting the king of Sodom comes out, and he's there too. Like, it's his neighborhood, so he's like, oh yeah, let's go out there and see Abram. Hey, he's bringing back all of our stuff and our people. That's awesome. Well, at least the women. That's awesome. Let's, let's, go, let's go talk to him, wouldn't you? Hey, he's coming back into town with all my stuff. We should probably go out and greet him, you know, say, hey, thanks for coming back with my stuff. So he gets out there, and what does he say? What does he say? It is interesting Verse 21, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons. Hey, give me the people. But you know what? Take some of the stuff for yourself. Get yourself something real nice, Clark. <laughs> He's like, give me the people. Not, hey, thank you, or God bless you. Hey, give me the people. And you can keep the possessions for yourself. Ab Abram has two responses. One response to Melchizedek and one response to king, the king of Sodom. To Melchizedek, what does he do? He gives him a tithe, a tenth of all that he has. That'd be a nice check. Would you like to have Abram's tithe? <laughs> Write that out. Christ, church, <clears throat> He gives him a tenth. 
Again, a little side note here, very interesting side note, I think. Again, on your own, you get to look into this. When is the law given? A little bit later. There is not a principle of tithe yet. And he gives them a tenth. Just interesting. So he gives them a tenth and he says, you know, he gives them that. To the king of Sodom, <laughs> he says, I have sworn an oath. We can just read it. I mean, I'll, I could say it in my own words, but let me say it this way first. Let me read it. Verse 22, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, should say I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young man have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, let Aner, Eshgal, and Mamre take their share. The, those that were in the area that were his allies, he said, that fought with him, let them have their share. Again, listen to the graciousness in Abram. Me and my family, we don't want anything from you. As a matter of fact, I've made a vow to God I would never touch even a shoelace. I wouldn't even take a shoelace from you, dude. Brand new or used, doesn't matter. I'm not touching anything that you would give me because you have not done any of this for me. This has all been God. Let the people that fought with me valiantly, let them have some stuff. I don't care, but I don't want any of it. Wow. So as I think about all these two chapters, there's a lot of things that we can take away from these two chapters. Right? Do you have family members that are really on your last nerve? Bless them. You know, maybe the, maybe the most powerful words you can say to them aren't, you know what, if you just gave your life to Jesus today and turned around from all your sinful ways, you know, you wouldn't be in the mess that you're in. Maybe they don't need to hear that anymore today. Maybe what they need to hear is, you know what, we're family. I remember one time my brother who left his family, his wife and kids, for the life of homosexuality and just bolted on them, just whatever, just blew up. Months after hearing about all this and grieving basically the death of my brother, my older brother, I was just like, I'm just wrecked in my spirit at one point, and I'm going, I don't even know what to say to this dude. He doesn't even claim to be a Christian anymore. Like, it's just, what do I do? And one day, I just, I just felt like I had to call him up. I called him up, and I said, dude, I got to tell you right now, I don't have any idea what to say to you other than I love you. You're my brother. You know what he expected me to say? Because I was a pastor at the time, right? Okay, you know what the Bible says about homosexuality and you know, leaving your wife and your kids. And he, he expected me to preach at him and say all the stuff that he was doing wrong. And I just said, I, I, I don't know what else to say, but I love you. You're my brother. Sometimes that's all we got to say. They're very powerful, powerful words. You know, some of us need to just say, I'm going to trust God for my provision. Yeah, you work hard. Yeah, you have good jobs. Yeah, you have, you know, you have your health. And yeah, you have, you know, some of us have all that stuff and some of us have some of it and some of us had none of it. None of it. We're sick and we're, we're not doing well financially, whatever. But you're here, you're living, you're breathing. That's a blessing from God. 
So sometimes some of us need to just say, I trust God for my provision alone, even when it feels like I'm not doing very well. Kyle Eidelman uh, from Faith Gateway wrote an, an interesting article this week talking about God being our only joy. If you are interested in that article, I'll give it to you. I'll give you a link after service. But it was a very good article, um, really kind of taking some thoughts from C.S. Lewis and realizing that God is, is good enough for us. If we want God for something else, that's not really what he wants. He is our provision. He is our hope. He's our uh, peace. He's everything for us. And sometimes we kind of put him off to the side and go, well, he's some of that stuff, but you know, really what I want, I want him for his stuff. I want him for the blessing. Some of us need to trust God for our provision today. Some of us need to always remember to worship him. Whether we're you know, winning the battle or losing the battle, we just need to learn to trust him. And some of us need to do the, learn to do the right thing to people around us, even if they're wicked. The biggest takeaway for me as I've prepared this week, and Andy, you guys can come back up when I'm, I'm done here. The biggest thing that I've taken away this week <clears throat> is that I have been in desperate need of someone to come and rescue me. A long time ago, I needed someone to come and rescue me. And just this morning, I needed someone to come and rescue me. Because I am so selfish and so sinful and so distracted. You don't think of distraction as being a sin, I think, sometimes, do you? But it is. You're so distracted. I'm so distracted that I desperately need someone to come and rescue me. Like Abram heard about his, his nephew and said, I'm going, I'm going to rescue him. Who rescued me? Who rescues any of us? Jesus does. The gospel informs me that I am an enemy of God when he rescued me. Enemy. I'm wicked. I'm like Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm like Lot. I'm worse than those guys. And God said, this dude needs me to come and rescue him. And every day, I need someone to come and rescue me. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you are doing a pretty good job of loving your coworkers through tough situations. That's showing the gospel to them. That's showing them that they need someone to come and rescue them. Maybe you're doing a good job with that. Maybe you're doing pretty good with that family member that's really been standing on your nerve. But maybe you need to say, you know what? God rescued me. God gave me grace so much so that all, oh, I mean, really? Another lecture from me? Is that what they need? Maybe they just need me to say, I love them. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mom. You're my dad. You're my aunt. Whatever it is, wherever you're at 
today, however you came into this room today, you're in need of someone to come and rescue you. That's just the truth of it. And I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful place to be. I'd much rather be around a room full of people that realize that than those that just think, yeah, I'm good. I don't really need anybody to rescue me. I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing good right now. you're at that's what God has done and that's what I take away from this passage and Jared was praying for me earlier he prayed so appropriately that I would continue to learn the lessons that from this passage that I would be speaking on and I'm telling you I didn't tell him this at the time but that's exactly what it's ha what's happening to me our family is going through weird stuff hard stuff sometimes Today, yesterday, this weekend, this week, it's been hard. I'm in desperate need of someone to rescue me. I'm not just saying that. Jared doesn't get up here every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, and, and uh, Andy. We don't get up here and just say that just so that you guys go, oh, he is real. No, I'm serious. We are serious. We're a mess. And we need someone to rescue us, just like everybody here. God, you looked down before you created the world. You looked into all eternity and said, these people will be my children and they're going to need someone to redeem them, to send them a ransom. Someone to come and rescue them. And you did it. You did it through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that each and every person in here would realize that we don't want to be like Abram. We want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Because while Abram went and rescued Lot, he rescued him for a minute. He couldn't rescue him for eternity. You, Father made a way to rescue us from eternity. Lord, if there's somebody here today that has never even placed their faith and trust in the promise giver, the rescuer, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place today without saying, I need that. And as I look around here, there's people that have been in this building week in and week out for a long time. mean that they're not sitting in this in these seats would you please chase each and every one of our hearts right to a place where we are calling out to you to rescue us in jesus name